welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, it's not quite a Womp Womp Wednesday. It is indeed a Womp Womp Tuesday. With a short week, we figured we'd jump on the short schedule as well. And we would bring you this podcast on a Tuesday, knowing that you've got two days to review that Cowboys game and then get ready for the show that is going to preview the next week's game. Um, or no, actually, we're going to do that uh, next week. This week, we're going to preview everything in this one episode. And then next week, we're going to review the game on Sunday morning. That way, there's not too much of a lag based on that long week. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a short week for the team. We're, we're taking on those struggles as well. You know, we're trying to push it, every, everything here, tighter schedule. You know, it's a struggle, struggle that we David, live right now. David made a sacrifice and he slept in his office as well, just like Chip Kelly. Yep. Uh, his office, of course, is his living room. Uh, and, Correct. uh, yep. That's so, you know, every, we're all making sacrifices. I, um, sacrificed watching football. Uh, I was at ACL all weekend, which if my voice sounds a little hoarse, it's because I basically inhaled pollen and dust and grass for three days straight <laughs> at Zilker Park in Austin, Texas. So my voice is still recovering from that and the, uh, screaming like a 12 year old girl at uh, LL Cool J, which is a uh, true, true story. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I don't think we knew we didn't mention that last time. Like you were talking about the lineup a little bit last time, uh, and, yep. and the, the people that were playing. I didn't know LL Cool J was going to be there. Okay, yeah, that, dude, LL Cool J was the there. He totally played, and he played. I mean, he played his hits, and uh, he played all the great ones. He ended with "Rock the Bells," which was great. Uh, I mean, he played "I Need Love." He also covered a lot of other, you know, kind of early '80s hip hop, which I thought was neat. Um, all the white kids, though, in Austin did not know anything about LL Cool J. A few of them didn't <laughs> even know Mama, you know, Mama said knock you out. They were like, wait, what's this? This guy's like NCIS, right? What's he doing rapping? Um, they, they don't know the world. They don't know a world with LL Cool J. Uh, but there were some ladies that did. Man licked his lips and the crowd went wild. Um, <laughs> handed out roses, too. Threw out roses. I mean, we're talking like him and Genuine, I think were two of the best shows that I've seen in Austin. Wow, I mean, sounds worth the price of admission right Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Yeah. But let's get into the details for this week. Let's first kick it off with the rundown. Really, really bad news to open up this episode. If it's not already a Womp Womp Tuesday, not even the fact that today is National Taco Day. Today is National Taco Tuesday. And not even that can turn around the fact that Navarro Bowman is out for the season with a torn Achilles and at this point, really, we have one question to ask ourselves, and that's, David, is there a better Rivals wallpaper curse? I mean, maybe. This looks like the next great curse, right? There's the Sports Illustrated cover curse. There's the Madden cover curse. And now there's the better Rivals wallpaper curse. Um, I don't make the rules. This, this is what it looks like right now. <laughs> well, he's. I mean, it looked bad because it was a non-contact injury when he tried to break forward towards the line of scrimmage and... At this, we were texting back and forth about it earlier today, and we said that you know what what sucks about this is that you're probably not going to see a Navarro Bowman in in the way that we saw Navarro Bowman before he tore up his knee. Yeah, I mean that's that that definitely sucks. I mean, obviously, as we always talk about, like injuries always suck. There's never good circumstances that lead to to an injury or surround that. But I mean, right now we're looking at a guy that. Um, this was his age 28 season right now. So he's already like this really should be kind of his peak years, right? Like right here in that that 27, 28 range is is really when most NFL players are kind of at the best level that they're going to play at in their careers. Um, and now he's coming back from two major injuries, 
right? It's not like his his knee injury was just an ACL. I mean, that was everything. Like his knee was just shredded, basically. So you're coming back from that. And we we talked about last year, right? How he didn't really look like the same guy. I mean, he, he was a good run defender last year still, and that, that part of his game managed to stick. But he was kind of lacking in the athleticism department, and, and that really affected him in coverage. And now you're adding an Achilles injury on top of that, which uh, really tends to be a more significant injury and a more difficult injury for players to come back from. So now you're asking a guy that's going to be pushing 30 um, and, and really about to kind of hit the point in his career where he was already going to be dropping off or you would kind of already expect that in his play. Um, and, and he's doing it off of two major injuries. Um, it, it really just kind of is a crappy situation um, and, and it sucks that we're not going to see that guy that was playing at a defensive player of the year caliber. Um, you know, we're probably not going to get that again. Oh, it sucks for the defense. This is the defense that already was having some troubles against the run, which we'll get to here in a minute. But this is going to be a big blow for the defense because I think it was Kevin Lynch or oh no Eric Branch who tweeted out something along the lines of this defense didn't look all that great with Navarro Bowman in there. And now, you know, I kind of fear and shudder what it looks like without him. And we'll get to that when we start breaking down the Cowboys game. But the next story in the rundown is going to be Chip Kelly continuing his support of one Mr. Glenn Babbert. Uh, he has consistent. He has consistently been steadfast in supporting the quarterback. And Torrey Smith, on the other hand, not so much. I think the tweet that I retweeted today was a, a reporter asked Torrey Smith, if he's been getting open or something, or what he feels about the coverage. And he's like, well, man, yeah, I'm, I'm open. I'm getting open, but you know, it just kind of left it at that. So yeah, that's, that's true. It is true. Yeah. I mean the, I think the chip stuff, right. Is only notable. And I think the only reason that kind of wanted to bring this up was more so the reaction and, and how people continuously are upset about, um, you know, chip coming in and saying, and, and I think this is generally true for pretty much all coaches, right? Like, the thing is, you're not going to see if, if he's a good coach, like if he's a decent coach, even like we won't even say good, like if he's a decent, respectable coach that looks like he probably should be actually employed in this profession. Um, they're just not going to throw their quarterback and generally most of their players under the bus for things like that, for even though it's it's very obvious that he's not playing well, like anybody can watch these games and see that Blaine Gabbard is not a good quarterback. Like that's not difficult. That's not a new thing. Um, but chip's not going to throw him under the bus. Like that's just never going to happen. There's no alternate reality out there with this NFL where that's going to be a thing that happens. And so I don't think that people should be getting all up and on. Like it really should be a thing. Like I'm just going to move about my day. Uh, This is what a good coach should do. He should stand by his players and support his players. And uh, at least publicly and, uh, and make it seem like he's on their side. Like that's an important thing to do. Um, and so he's doing that move on, like, don't pay this any mind yet every week. It seems like when he makes these comments, people, uh, are, are just like losing their minds over it, which is really strange to me. Maybe they're used to the Mike Nolan school of throw your quarterback under the bus. And that's what the Barry media has been conditioned to. But what, what I do find refreshing about, about Chip Kelly is that he does admit when Gabbert makes bad throws or bad decisions. And we're going to talk about this play specifically, but when he was asked about, the deep throw to Torrey Smith that was intercepted, he said, yeah, he was, it was a missed throw, and he's going to miss some throws. But then he'll still kind of bring it around and, and support the quarterback and say, you know, look at the throw that he made to Garrett Selleck, 
which was a legitimately good throw. So he is doing what he should do as a coach and that stand behind his players because ideally you don't want a leader that just throws everyone under the bus and says, I'm out. Later, bitches. Doesn't so moving usually on, work out that way. Yeah. No, work out not well usually. Moving on to story three then, we finally have defense adjustments in the Football Outsiders performance metric, the DVOA, uh, defensive adjusted value over average metric that we love here on the Better Rivals podcast. So there were some interesting tidbits so far this year that we thought we would call out because it's important that you get some defensive adjustments in there. Up until now, the idea is you don't really know how good teams really are, so you don't want to factor in too many of that. And even now... The defensive adjustments are only kind of worth, they're weighted 40%. They're not fully weighted until week 10. But that being said, there were a couple of things that jumped out. One, the 49ers are 28th overall, 26th in offense, 19th in defense, and 26th on special teams, which it just seems like a matter of time until the Niners allow a punt return or a kick return. It's like everyone's getting kind of close and kind of close. And one of these days, a team is going to break one. And, and we're going to be like, oh, look, special teams, there it is. We never talk about it until, you know, it's Ted Ginn running one against you. But, yeah, they're, they, they are who we thought they were. Not very good, a little better on defense than they're on offense. Uh, and the, the win, even though it was a shutout against the Rams, doesn't help a lot because the Rams, I think, are 24th overall. So they're not very good. Yeah, and I think, um, though, like you're, you're still seeing what, a, a kind of outline performance can do in a small sample, right? Like I think that defensive ranking, like at 19th, like going into the season, that's really where we hope they would end up is somewhere in that range, right? Like somewhere hovering around average kind of in that middle of the pack. Um, but really when I think when you, when you look at their performance so far this year, it's been that one dominant performance against the Rams, which is still kind of inflating that ranking, I think. Uh, when you when you look at how they've done against the other three teams hasn't been great and and that's been a big part of their problems this year so yeah it, it, it's it's there's still some other things that you need to take into consideration but adding those defensive adjustments is certainly the the first big step and i think getting a more accurate gauge as to where a lot of these teams are um because i know right now like with it being the quarter point in the season a, a lot of uh, numbers are getting thrown around on twitter as to where they rank uh, in terms of total yardage and all that stuff. And and if you've been listening to us for a while, you know why that stuff uh, can be a little bit misleading. So something like DVOA that, that adds a little bit more context to those numbers certainly gives a more accurate representation of where the team is at right now. And uh, it's it's not surprising that they're not doing so hot. One of the other things that I thought was interesting was the future strength of schedule from here forward. Coming into the season, the 49ers were projected to have somewhere near the second or third hardest schedule based on DVOA because they were in the NFC West. They were in a division with Seattle, who is, oh, I think in the article this week, they referred to Seattle as DVOA's binky <laughs> like, because they could never <laughs> let them go. They're ranked seventh uh, or they're ranked second so far. And you also had the Arizona Cardinals, who had an amazing season last year and looked primed to have another great year this year. But now, of course, you've got a turn of fortunes. Arizona, not so great. And Seattle's still good. But you look at some of the other teams on the 49ers roster, and this year, they're not playing as well as they were last year. And so this just kind of goes to show that really those preseason strength of schedule, uh, those strength of schedule rankings, they're slightly indicative. But at the end of the day, every season plays out in its own way. And with you know, we talked we talked about this a little bit on on the episode of the future, right? What did the 49ers need to do 
to have a, a more of a turnaround season than we expected. You kind of more of a return to confidence. And one of them was winning turnover battles, which so far they've actually done fairly okay with. They're definitely in the plus side of the turnover battle. And the other was having these kinds of injuries happen to teams that left them vulnerable. They did go up against the vulnerable Seattle team. They are going up against the vulnerable Arizona team. I mean, this is one of those things where I don't, I don't think that this all of a sudden means the Niners should, you know, be four and one, or I'm sorry, three and one. But it is just interesting how to, how the season is beginning to play out. And I still think the Niners will steal a game or two that I think they have no business winning. And at the end of the day, they'll still be at you know five wins or six wins. But it's just interesting that our strength of schedule is not going to be as difficult as we predicted based on where teams are right now. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I, I think that was definitely the biggest takeaway for me with like these first DVOA rankings um, with with the opponent adjustments mixed in. I think you look at there are a couple things that maybe are slightly misleading with that. Like for instance, New England is currently 17th, right? They've been playing four games without Tom Brady. Y- you would imagine that they're going to be. Yeah, they uh, talked about that specifically about how that adjustment's not going to, that they don't do a different set of adjustments if you have like right. a Tom Brady come back. So the, the Buffalo Bills, for instance, are going to look a lot better on paper based on DVOA because they beat the New England team with Jacoby Brissett as yeah. opposed to, uh, you know, Tom Brady. So definitely something to, to take into account. But yeah, I think, I think really they're entering right now kind of a critical point in their schedule that's really going to determine where they end up this year. I mean, um, over the next six weeks or six, six games that they have, cause they have a bye week mixed in there. Um, four of those games are at home. I mean, they had one uh, already against Dallas, which obviously we're going to get into in more depth, um, but had a 14 point lead there that they let slip away, which is, is kind of unfortunate at home. Um, but they have a chance here for a team that's been much better at home than on the road uh, lately. These next few weeks, if they can't pull out some wins against a team like Arizona that might be starting Drew Stanton at quarterback or a, a team like Tampa Bay and New Orleans, um, like those are, are games really if they, they don't want to be picking in the top three or four picks this year that they're going to have to win because all of a sudden they close the schedule and while the teams aren't necessarily very good, all of them are on the road, basically. Four of their last six are on the road. Um, and, and again, they've looked like a different team when they've gone on the road so far um, last season and this season. And, and it's obviously new coaching staff, but mostly the same roster. They, they've been one of the worst teams in football on the road. So, um, yeah, I, I think this next stretch here is going to be kind of big for where they end up um, with that final record. So let's get into the Cowboys game then. We normally break down the game and talk about our biggest takeaways We'll also talk a bit about a spotlight player of the week and a stat of the week as we break down the game. But first off, I think in terms of a biggest takeaway is going to be something that we all expected. But it was more to, I guess, if we, even though we expected it, we were still surprised by how ridiculously I think the Cowboys interior offensive line dominated. It was definitely strength against strength. And I thought it was very interesting that our defensive strength and really the strength of this team was supposedly that defensive line, and yet it was a defensive line that was wholly ineffective in the run game, could not get pressure even against backups, and by and large did not in any way, shape, or form affect Dallas in such a way that it really took their their offense out of rhythm outside of the first maybe you know quarter. Right. I mean, they were missing the left side of their offensive line, right? Like, it, it was... 
their starting left tackle and left guard were not there and they didn't really seem to miss a beat because of it. So, I mean, you look at the passing game and I think that one, um, you know, isn't as surprising because the 49ers have have really struggled with uh, getting pressure on the quarterback all season. And and that's kind of been a consistent theme so far, but Dak was the, the story. And we talked about this in the preview, right? Is, is how well he's done throwing to the middle of the field and how a lot of that's been set up by the offensive line and and especially the interior of that offensive line, which gives him the room to kind of step up, right? Like even if he gets a little bit of pressure around the edge, he's got that clean pocket to step up into and kind of deliver the ball over the middle of the field, which he's been very good at this year. And, and it was kind of the same story here. He didn't test them downfield. He didn't throw. Uh, I don't think he threw a single pass over 20 yards in the air in this game. So it wasn't like there were big plays that were being made. He was just consistently finding the guy underneath that was open uh, in kind of the weak spot in the coverage, and it was because he had time to step up and do that. And then the more, I think, alarming thing um, that was a little bit more unexpected maybe was the performance in the run game. I mean, we talked about, like, obviously they were very, the 49ers were very good in week one against Todd Gurley and, and really kind of shut the run game down. And I thought they were much better in week two against the Panthers than the numbers kind of suggested. Like it really, when you looked at the overall numbers there, made it seem like that was a really bad performance. But I thought uh, just really a couple runs kind of skewed that and made it look worse than it really was. And then all of a sudden last week against Seattle, you had a, a very bad performance against what had been a very bad offensive line. And now Dallas kind of built on that. And so far we're seeing the 49ers defense get, or at least run defense get worse and worse each week. I mean, Zeke was basically ripping off, you know, chunks of yards every single time that he touched it. Uh, according to pro or excuse me, uh, football outsiders he ended up with eight first downs on the ground. And that included gains of 10, 17, 23 and 26. Only two of his runs, only two of his carries um, went for no gain or a loss. So it, it wasn't in this situation, one or two runs that were, were big gains that kind of skewed those results it was consistent yardage on the ground. Um, and it was a really bad look for the 49ers run defense in a lot of ways. And it really is a problem that has affected everyone, irrespective of how strong we thought this defensive line was going to look on paper. You, you think of, you know, last week and you, the, the defensive coordinator, Jim O'Neill talked about how the team was just not aligned properly. And you had someone basically leaving a gap uncovered and it resulted in a big game for Christine Michael. But it, you also see similar things happening against the Cowboys where, you know, we talked about it in the, the pre-show stuff where we were prepping where Eric Armstead all of a sudden jumps into a different gap than he's lined up against. And while that seems in like a good play on the screen because he's in the backfield pretty quickly, he's leaving his gap uncovered. And that makes a lot of sense if you have someone there to back you up, if you have someone there to fill that gap and you're basically kind of exchanging and playing a little bit of a stunt game. But even if that was the case, now all of a sudden you've got a Bowman-less defense where Nick Ballore is out there kind of thinking, playing like he's thinking way too much. And he's like, uh, should I get there? Uh, should I not get there? E- even then, he was already out of position a little bit. And so you have a defense then that is already feeling the loss of Bowman and if if their talent maybe is good enough for them to hold up, the way that they're acting in the run game isn't allowing them to really play sound defense. And what ends up happening is you have an Ezekiel Elliott running through a hole that's big enough for you know most high school running backs to get through 
and he's finally tackled at about the one-yard line by Jaquaski Tart. So it's not just the talent level necessarily. It's also this little these inconsistencies in terms of getting aligned, in terms of the way they're playing their gap responsibilities that ultimately let good or at the very least above average running backs um, and middling offensive lines um, or really good offensive lines take advantage, wash them out of holes, and let the running backs run for big gains. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the concerning thing in regards to the defensive line play was this was what we expected to kind of be the strength of this team, right? Like we talked um, before the season quite a bit about how, like, so a lot of people were really spending a lot of time talking about, like, we don't know who's going to line up at inside linebacker next to Navarro Bowman. And we we kind of took the the stance that, like, it doesn't matter that much if everything else falls into play the way that it looks like on paper, right? And that involved, one, um, the team spending a lot of time in sub packages, which is generally true of, of you know, most teams at this point in the league. Um, so you, you don't really have the extra linebackers on the field quite as much. But a lot of that had to do with the defensive line, which really looked like the strength of this defense going into the year. I mean, obviously, we'd spent the, the last two first round picks on it. And also, like, there were several other guys that are on the roster and like guys like Quentin Dial. Um, you know, veterans, even like uh, like uh, Glenn Dorsey. Obviously, the Ian Williams injury before the year kind of hurt. He was one of the best run defenders in the league last year. So so that was kind of already um, a, a hit to start the season. But even with his absence, like this was a unit that we expected to be very good. And I think that maybe we got a little bit ahead of ourselves, right? Like it, it's still, at the end of the day, a unit that is very young. Um, it, it's a unit as a whole, like not even just a defensive line, but the entire defense that is learning a brand new system. And when you have the combination of young guys that are still trying to figure things out and still trying to develop with learning a new scheme on the fly, like you're, you're going to have some mistakes like this. So because of that, I, I don't really think that it's necessarily reason to, you know, press the panic button and start worrying about like we need to fire guys and these players are a waste of time. And we need to move on um, and they're just not going to develop into the guys we thought. I, I think it is time, though, to reset some expectations and, and kind of realize that now after a quarter of the season in the books, like this probably isn't going to be a unit, even if they improve over the course of the season, which would would kind of make sense. It's probably not going to be the strength that we really envisioned it as going into the year. Now, the second big takeaway is really going to be about the zone read and some run pass options because there there were more zone read calls in this game than we've seen really in any game so far. And we had calls over the last couple of weeks for Blaine Gabbert to keep it more often. And in this game, he finished with 12 rushing attempts, only one of which came via scramble. The other was a kneel down at the end of the first half. So that leaves 10 attempts on design run plays. And he, he didn't keep it just because he chose to keep it. It wasn't like the coaching staff said, all right, Glenn Babbert, you're going to go ahead and keep it more often. The, the Cowboys were actually forcing the keep read with a, a, just a, a straight-up scrape exchange or gap exchange. We've covered it before on the show, but in a nutshell, the edge defender, which the quarterback is typically reading, is going to go straight towards the back. That's the sign for the quarterback to keep the ball and run. But then what ends up happening is you have Sean Lee, who's typically the linebacker on the running back side of the formation, kind of going over the top and accounting for Glenn Babbert. So now all of a sudden, now I can't say Blaine Gabbert, especially because it's that's, in because the that's not a real person. It's yeah. uh, Glenn Babbert. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, 
every now single I'm... instance. I actually made sure that I didn't miss one. Like I did a find and replace on our agenda <laughs> to make sure that Gabbert wasn't in there because uh, Gabbert's not a name that I recognize anymore. Uh, it is purely Lane Babbert. Well, in that case, you have shot. You have basically the, the the keep read being forced by the edge defender, whomever that was. And then you had Sean Lee scraping over the top, and that's why all of a sudden now you've got Glenn Babbert staring at Sean Lee going, uh, I don't know what to do. Incidentally, this is what I thought the 49ers should do to Russell Wilson last week, force him to keep the ball and then put him one-on-one with a linebacker like Navarro Bowman or Gerald Hodges, who with uh, uh, Russell Wilson injured and hobbled, it was not going to be bad or not going to be good. But even then for the 49ers against the Cowboys, this is what they did, and the, the fun part, the really, really fun part to watch was how the 49ers adjusted and how Chip Kelly reacted. Because late in the first quarter, we saw the 49ers go back to a two-back formation with Hyde and Drone in the backfield, and all of a sudden, you start seeing Drone on some arc blocks. Now, if you remember the Jim Harbaugh 49ers, you remember those arc blocks, and it was a tight end, Vernon Davis, usually coming across the formation and trying to pick up that scraping defender to give your quarterback a lead block so you don't have so you can play the, those kind of gap exchange games. And by and large, you know, it, it didn't work every single time, but it was really neat to see those games go back and forth, see how Rodham Marinelli was having the Sean Lee play it, see Chip react, and then see kind of every, the, the run game begin to open up a little bit more for Carlos Hyde on the interior of the line. Yeah, they had some, you know, success when they went to that. I, I think it was a good adjustment schematically. It wasn't the, uh, the, the best executed adjustment, you know, Sean drone, um, who I think has looked pretty well, like as a, a change of pace running back, maybe lead blocking isn't quite his strong suit. So, uh, there, there were a few plays where it looked like, you know, that run might've been able to go for, for some more yardage if drone had been able to get a better block and it didn't quite happen. And so now you're talking about a two or three yard gain as opposed to what might've been, uh, you know, a seven, eight, nine yard gain. So uh, it, it was interesting to see them use that two back package, though. I think they um, this was something that they haven't shown at all. Um, as far as I can remember, this was the first time that they had put two running backs in the backfield all season. Um, it's not something that Chip really does a whole lot. He It was uh, something that you saw more in that first year in Philadelphia when they had McCoy and uh, Darren Sproles there. They would go to that every once in a while. But in large part, it's not something that he, that he really goes to frequently. So, uh, and it was, I, I think, like you mentioned, late in the first quarter was when we saw this, right? Like this wasn't an adjustment that they waited to make until halftime or anything like that. Like they went to it pretty quick, recognized uh, early on that this was what Dallas was going to do to defend it, that they were going to crash really hard on that running back and, and kind of force that keep read. Um, and, and so they made some adjustments again, Sometimes like what you do schematically with this offense just really isn't going to matter because they don't have the the talent offensively to to really execute a lot of this stuff at a high level. Um, but I think going forward, the thing that makes the most sense for them to uh, try to employ more that I've been a little bit surprised that they haven't gone to is to start running uh, uh, some more run pass options, right? Like this is something that Chip has done, um, you know, pretty extensively at his previous stops, but we haven't seen much of so far this season. And when you start to see that 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 linebacker scraping really aggressively over the top, right? Like the uh, obviously a defensive end or whoever the the read defender is on that particular play 
they're crashing down hard to force that keep read. So they're kind of taking away the run game or the, the, the handoff option to Carlos Hyde. Um, and at that point you really have to determine, do I want my one-on-one, uh, you know, in the open field with Blaine Gabbert, um, and a linebacker, or do I want to try to take advantage of that linebacker's aggressiveness and throw the ball right over his head? And, uh, they only did it once in this game and the result was very positive. I mean, it was a 25 yard gain to Selleck. Um, the linebacker was very uncertain as to what to do once he kind of realized that guys were going out for a pass route. Um, this is something that I really think they need to use more because teams with the zone read it, with this particular team, especially as, as long as Babbert's and they're going to force that keep, right? Like it makes sense that to put the ball in his hand, as opposed to put the ball in Carlos Hyde's hands. Um, so you have to be able to take advantage of that. And if that linebacker is going to be really aggressive, this is the next kind of step in, in, in getting that advantage back offensively is to start throwing the ball over that linebacker's head when he crashes down against the quarterback. And we've seen some of the run pass options earlier. I think we saw it more so in week one and week two. And every week, of course, the package of plays the 49ers put together in their game plan is going to change. But we mostly saw these run pass options with hitch routes out on the perimeter and not so much on hitch routes on the interior of that line where you're optioning off of a linebacker. You see Gabbert probably optioning off or or looking at a corner and looking at their alignment or looking at whether or not they're in zone coverage to have a free wide receiver out there. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see if teams continue to try and defeat the zone read with the scraping linebacker if we do indeed see more run pass options with a maybe a tight end stick over the middle or something along those lines. But now let's get to the third, and that's going to be the key play that everyone's talking about. The key that we the play that we think changed the game was that Glenn Babbert interception where he missed a wide open Torrey Smith. Now there are several notable things about this play and I'm sure that David's going to have a great breakdown of this on Niners Nation here in uh, the, before the weekend, but kind of giving you setting the stage as to what's going to happen. Really, we're going to talk about some of the important key parts of the play and and why it happened. Not just necessarily like, oh yeah, it was a bad play and he threw a bad a bad pass because there's a little bit more there in this case than just him underthrowing a pass, even though that's a big part of it. But the, the two things that I'll set up for you before David goes into the reads, which I think are super important and interesting, one is the pass concept, and that's Saints. It's a concept we've covered before on this show, but for those that know it from other nomenclature, it's Chip's version of the air raid staple, which is a Y cross. It's called a Y cross because your, wide, your Y receiver, not wide receiver, but your Y receiver, is running a cross route or an over route. And in this case, they're running it from a two-back formation where you motion Chandron out of the backfield and they motion him to the left. If you remember the play and that creates a combination of routes on one side, it's a fade bubble, which is a high low read. Uh, and then yeah, that's going to be the first read. And then the second read uh, is going to be the, actually the second route in that combo. The third read is going to be the over route. And then the fourth read is going to be the backside post. So Babbard in this case is basically going left to right, high low read over. And, uh, and I'll go ahead and let David pick it up from here. Yeah, so I think that's kind of the interesting thing, right, was more the setup of this play and, and kind of how things unfolded. The result is obvious, right? Like, we you don't need us to tell you that he underthrew that pass and, and, and kind of made a poor throw there, and, and that really um, changed the outcome of, the, of what this play could have been significantly. But I, I think kind of setting that up and, um, you know, looking at what 
his eye, like where he kind of progressed throughout that play is, is at least a little bit more interesting, we hope. But yeah, so I think when, when you set it up, normally this is something that they do from kind of a, a, a balanced two by two set, right? Where they have kind of two receivers on one side, two receivers on the other. And on that kind of backside is usually your tight end, which is close to the formation. So um, it looks like, you know, it's a, a 11 personnel, which is going to be one back, one tight end, three receivers. Two receivers to one side, one on the other side with your tight end. That's normally the look that they go to. But again, we mentioned earlier that they did some, they did a lot more things from that two back look uh, in, in this game. And so that was one of the ways that they set this up. You motion drone out of the backfield, and that gets your your first look. So initially, after um, Baber gets the ball, he's looking over to the left hand side of the formation in this case, which is that fade bubble combo. And really, this is more of a, a look that he's going to look to take advantage of against zone. So if they're playing any sort of zone coverage where there's a defender that's going to kind of uh, like cover two, for example, where that corner might be squatting on the flat route, then you can look to throw that fade um, up the sideline and kind of that gap before the safety gets there. Or if it's, say, more of a cover three look and the, the flat defender is more of a linebacker as opposed to that cornerback that's already there, then you can look to throw that bubble, you know, if the, the defender's a little bit late getting out there. So really that's more of a zone thing that they're going to try to high-low whoever that flat defender is. Um, with man coverage, which is what the Cowboys played on this play, which they were just kind of in a man-free look. So one single high safety, man coverage really across the board. Um, and in this case, they did drop Sean Lee back as kind of that uh, underneath zone player. Um, so man coverage pretty much eliminates both of those options right away. So when he looks over there, sees that he's got man coverage, he knows that he can immediately go back to the middle of the field, which is going to be his third read. Um, this one was something that he he went to quite a bit in this game. So uh, both the big plays that we had to Jeremy Curley were on this same route, which is that deep crossing route um, run from the slot. And in this case, it wasn't Curley. Curley was actually running the fade. Um, it was Patton on this play. So he's looking to Patton next. And because they'd thrown that route and had some success with that route over the course of this game, you see that single high free safety that's supposed to be playing deep and kind of over the top of everything. He jumps that crossing route. So now that you see that route eliminated, that brings you back to the fourth read on that play, which is Torrey Smith on the post route. Really at this point, you know, uh, again, we don't need to talk about uh, in, in any sort of depth, what a poor throw this was, but basically he had the entire field to throw to. You have the fastest guy on the field running a post that's open against a, a vacated middle of the field. Like you just put it out there and let the guy run underneath it, right? Like it, it really shouldn't be that difficult. Um, the one thing you really can't do is what he did, which is it was try to be a little bit too precise with the throw, put it too much on a rope and, and not get enough air under it. And, and end up throwing it um, short and kind of behind him, which is exactly where the defender was. So it kind of eliminates the separation on that play. But everything had really set up perfectly for them to get a big shot down the field because of things that they'd done earlier in the game, right, which was having success with that over route. So the play had set up beautifully. The, the touchdown was there for the taking, uh, it just really couldn't quite be executed. And that ended up being a big difference in this game. You know, this was a fourth quarter play where uh, if he connects on this pass, that's the go ahead touchdown. And they have an opportunity to kind of protect that lead late. And instead, um, you know, they they end up 
not being able to get into the end zone, not being able to get a score and, and kind of uh, losing the game because of it. Ultimately, we think that was the turning point. And while that was definitely a negative where Babbert going to Babbert, there was definitely one positive this week. And that's going to be our spotlight player of the week. That's Richard Robinson, someone that we thought preseason would not fare super well because he was basically had the, the build of a twig, but <laughs> really has turned out to be in his play uh, played pretty well. According to PFF, Robinson played 45 snaps for the first three weeks before playing 67 against Dallas on Sunday. And against Dallas, he was targeted six times, allowing only three catches for 20 yards to go along with three pass breakups. Uh, And the one that he broke up in the end zone, I thought it was a touchdown uh, until I realized that it was incomplete. It was actually really, really good interior hand fighting. He had a 94.2 PFF grade, and that was the highest among cornerbacks. In week four, not not rookies, just cornerbacks full stop in week four. Uh, So this is someone that is kind of exceeding expectations based on where we thought he would be. And, you know, hey, we're we're always open to changing our minds. Uh, But David, hit us with the stat of the week to wrap up the game, wrap up the discussion about uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, so I think this pretty much sums it up. Um, You know, Brian Burke, who used to be of advanced NFL uh, stats, advanced uh, football analytics, I think he changed it to at one point, uh, has done a really great job with a lot of things in kind of the analytics sphere uh, of football. Now at ESPN and has taken his win probability model there. Um, According to his model, with a little over four minutes ago in the second quarter, the 49ers had a 92.7% win probability. Uh, still managed to give that game away, which uh, is really fun to think about. Let's talk about these NFL quick hits before we get to the Cardinals game preview. Just a quick rundown of a lot of the things that have happened so far in the NFL. David, number one, it's the Vikings watch. I might just ask you this question every single week, uh, (laughs) but are the Vikings the class of the NFC? I mean... Every week it gets more and more yes. Uh, I, I'm still I'm still not quite ready to go there 100%. I think St- Seattle's still the best team in the NFC, but, I mean, that defense is is no joke. Um, and what's strange is their offense might be better without Adrian Peterson, which is really weird yeah. to say. Uh, Jarek McKinnon looks awesome. I think he's got we, – we talked about Mike Davis having some wiggle. Uh, and if, if Mike Davis has some wiggle, Jarek McKinnon has definitely got some wiggle. <laughs> Uh, I, I want to say he's got waggle because he used to be a quarterback, but I feel like that's uh, a joke too far. Going too uh, deep n- with that one. <laughs> Drink. So <laughs> <laughs> number two, uh, Atlanta will ride Julio Jones to another NFC title loss. No, they're going to crater well before that. <laughs> Man, I was talking to someone earlier about how Atlanta's always a paper tiger. Always, 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 always. The, the hot stuff. It was the same thing last year. Last year they started off really well and then tanked. Like, I don't know, until they do something different, until they show that they can kind of sustain that over the long term. Julio Jones is a monster. Like, that's not going to change. But that's not going to lead to them. <laughs> I don't I don't even know if they'll get in the playoffs at this point. Like, I'm not willing to say that. Um, yeah. but he's like on another planet. He's crazy. I feel like there are certain truths in the NFL, right? Number one, Jeff Fisher will always be some seven or nine bullshit. Number two, Atlanta will always look way better than they are. And number three, Michael Crabtree will never catch a fade in the, Oh wait, just kidding. Michael oh, Crabtree what? always catches, he catches fades. all the fades with the Raiders. Yeah. <laughs> he leaves the Fortnite's catch all the fades. 
Every one of so, them. So this leads me to number three. Michael Crabtree is, or was, I don't know if you used the present or past tense in this case, the best 49ers receiver since Terrell Owens. No question. I mean, I don't even think that's really a, a any sort of bold statement or anything like that. Like, uh, very clearly the best receiver. I mean, I think that was the case while he was on the roster. Um, I, just the quarterback play has been really bad. And it's like, I don't even, I'm not even 100% sure that Derek Carr uh, is a good quarterback, but like he's better than what Crabtree had kind of at the end of his 49ers tenure. Um, and Crabtree's, I mean, the dude's talented. Like there's no denying that um, he's been talented the whole time. Like he's just finally getting the opportunity to, to produce in an offense. that's a little bit more talented than anything that he played in while he was with the 49ers. Final two questions are going to be Rams related. Number four, will the Rams win 10 games after getting off to a hot, oh so hot, three and one start? Absolutely not. Next question. Uh, there's, they're still going to win like seven games and it's going to be hilarious. Uh, and, and Aaron Donald is going to kill like three quarterbacks in the process. Aaron Donald's Num- legit. I would watch that dude every play if I could. Number five and final question more overrated head coach, Jeff Fisher. Or Chuck Pagano. Ooh, um, I'm gonna go with Pagano just because I think that like Jeff, like most people realize that Jeff Fisher like isn't a great coach at this point, right? Like, yeah, you can sure you probably do worse than Jeff Fisher at this point. Like, you know, there at least he's gonna get you to mediocrity, I guess, if you want to make that argument. <laughs> um, Chuck Pagano's just uh, not been good. I don't think that really gets as much attention as Jeff Fisher. Um, what the Colts are doing to Andrew Luck is a crime. Like they, they, they should look be horrible, dude. So, prosecu- so bad. I don't know. I don't know what the charges are, but you need to get them out of there and you get Andrew Luck. Like, how do you let him get hit? I don't know, like a million times, uh, so 157 times, uh, I think is the official count. It's just, it's just a disaster of a situation and it's a waste of a very, very good quarterback. They could easily be 0-4. I mean, they needed some real late-game heroics to to even have that that one win. He near, they, like, Luck nearly brought them back in the stupid London game against Jacksonville. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, they were down, what, I think, like, 23 points at one point in that game. Yeah, um, and if the tight end could back. hold on to it. Yeah. If the tight end could just hold on to it on fourth down, they they probably end up going on to, to win that game. But, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think Chuck Pagano is is that great of a coach. I think he kind of rode uh, that Bruce Arian coattail and is yep. still riding that wave. Yep. And, and yeah, I mean, if he I is, mean, th- this feels to like for the beginning of cancer and stuff, you know, like that's awesome. Um, I tried not to make it about the cancer, but, but you know, you, you get a couple of beers in David and all of a sudden he's just hey, cancer shaming. Doesn't <laughs> no, 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 let's not go too far here. I'm just saying that like, Beating cancer might make you an awesome person, but it doesn't necessarily make you a good football coach. (laughs) All right, well, let's get to the Cardinals. Let's talk about the three things to watch in this Cardinals game because, frankly, this is, again, I I feel like we're on a broken record here. This is an injured team. There's an opportunity to win this game. This is the third game in a row now where the 49ers are getting a team at not full strength. And now for two weeks against Seattle – and against the Rams, they have not been able to capitalize. W- what is this 49ers offense going to look like against 
now going against a legitimately good defense at home because Dallas Shore has the 10th ranked, I think, scoring defense, but their defensive DVOA is not very good. I would say they're probably a little below average in terms of an overall defense, but that's not the case with Arizona. Yeah, Arizona, they've had a lot of problems this season, but they, for the most part, have not been defense related. Like a lot of their issues have been more offensively and with the play of uh, Carson Palmer and, and their passing offense really struggling. Um, their defense is currently sixth in DVOA after four weeks. Like they're still um, very good. Like they're maybe not quite to the level that they, they would be at if they had a fully healthy Tyron Matthew and, and we're kind of playing at their peak from last year. They're not quite on that level, but still a very good defense. And and right now um, we've talked a lot about in the past, like the, the home road splits of the four Niners uh, defense, but the offense kind of has been uh, a, a similar story so far this year. We got two games on, on uh, the road and two games at home. 2.0% DVOA at home so far offensively, which is is 18th. So again, about middle of the pack. Negative um, 26.3 DVOA uh, on the road, which is 28. So it, it's it's the difference between one of the worst offenses in football and you know about a, a league average offense, depending on whether they're at, at home or on the road. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see. I mean, we saw in Week One, which. I don't know what it is with this team and playing late on Monday night when like half the country's asleep that just kind of makes them uh, more competent than they really look the rest of the season. But we had that against what, you know, I, I still think is a, a pretty good defense in uh, in Los Angeles. Um, now we get another good defense at home. Like, how do they look? How do they respond? Um, are, do we still see them kind of produce it? it an average level. Like I, I really don't expect this team to look good offensively at that many points uh, over the course of the year. Like, yeah. Okay. Maybe when you play new Orleans, who has one of the worst defenses in football, you would expect them to look pretty good there, but uh, th- there aren't going to be too many opportunities for them to play defenses like that. So how do they look at home where they've been better against a defense that's, that's been pretty good so far this year. Now, of course, you do have the return of Marcus Cooper, where if there is a weak spot in that Cardinals defense, it is going to be the once vaunted, vaulted, vaunted, I think it's vaunted, Marcus Cooper, who was drafted by the 49ers, and he was traded to Kansas City, and just about everyone lost their minds, because I think the two weeks after he was traded to Kansas City, he had a couple of interceptions, and everyone thought, oh my God, we traded away our best corner, and back then we didn't have very many cornerbacks then immediately got destroyed by Peyton Manning and has not really been the same cornerback since. But Case Keenum's passer rating when throwing against Marcus Cooper was 158.3, which I think is like perfect or like a tenth of a point away from perfect. No, that's perfect. So that's the one. Yep. 158.3 is the number. Yep. So, and this is um, Case Keenum throwing against Marcus Cooper, had a perfect quarterback rating. Case Keenum, again, uh, <laughs> that's hopefully Glenn Babbert can get to Case Keenum level uh, against <laughs> against God, Marcus Cooper. I don't That's want to hope. ever say that sentence again. Um, like, don't, That's the don't do that. Don't. Oh, my God. When are we going to get quarterback play that's not awful? But th- this is going to be interesting because, of course, you remember last year you had that, you know, back-to-back interception performance, overall four interception performance for Colin Kaepernick. So this is going to be a uh, an offense against the defense that is is going to be just flat out better than they are 
And that doesn't usually bode well for the 49ers if their defense is going to look as it did against Dallas because you think of the second thing to watch, and that's going to be how the run game holds up against David Johnson. And we talked about what that run game looks like and did look like against Dallas. You've got empty gaps because of misalignment. You've got empty gaps because people are not playing assignment sound football. Um, They're trying to cowboy, for lack of a better term. And then you've just got a lack of talent at the linebacker position to help really cover up any of those deficiencies. And, And so now you've got David Johnson, who's one of the best backs in football, and you are going up against a team where you want to force them to throw. At this point, I would imagine the 49ers are going to stack the box and dare the dare Drew Stanton to throw. That that's got to be the move at this point because you you don't want David Johnson to beat you because if you do, all of a sudden you're basically forcing the team to put the ball in one of their best players' hands, David Johnson, and not in one of their worst, and that's Drew Stanton. Yeah, I mean, you would think if you're Bruce Arians at this point, uh, especially if Carson Palmer. I mean, I know that they've said. Uh, this week that they're kind of optimistic that Carson Palmer might be able to suit up. Um, but it's just really hard to believe like that that's going to happen. I, I don't really know that you can bank on that on a short week coming off that concussion. Um, doesn't seem like a very smart move to go that route. So if all of a sudden you have Drew Stanton at quarterback, I mean, absolutely the game plan has to be with how the 49ers run defense has looked in the last couple of weeks. Like you have to feed the ball to David Johnson um, and, and really kind of lean on that run game um, that's now likely going to be missing, well, for sure missing Navarro Bowman, likely going to be missing DeForest Buckner, um, and, and that front seven that hadn't been performing very well already is now kind of down two of its better players. Um, it's, it's kind of frightening to think about, especially because the interior of Arizona's offensive line has been playing pretty well. I mean, obviously we're familiar with Mikey Potty. Um, and he's one of the better run blockers in football, especially at the guard position. Um, AQ Shipley, who's their center, has been playing very well so far this year. Um, Veldier, who's their their left tackle, is also um, you know a very good player. So they they have some guys up front. This Arizona offensive line is really much better than it's been in years past. Um, so I think they it makes sense that they lean on that run game. So we really need to see this 49ers defense kind of you know make some changes from what they've done in the last few weeks. Like, and I think it starts with the basics, just getting lined up properly and giving themselves a chance and not leaving these gaps wide open and unattended would be a, a very good start. But certainly from a game plan standpoint, if you're Arizona, that makes sense to is the route to go in this game. So how well the 49ers do in that respect is going to be uh, likely a big determinant in how well they do this game. Now, before we get to the third thing, it really one of the other minor stories from this week was Tim Ryan getting caught with a hot mic talking about Mike Purcell <laughs> and talking yeah, about great. how Mike Purcell was absolute trash, I think was the exact quote. Garbage. Yeah. Uh, absolute garbage. Sorry. Uh, I guess that's just a step above a hot pile of garbage, uh, which is, I guess, a step above a dumpster fire. So, we're, you know, we're two levels in, in the garbage level fire great rating criteria right i think we can make an official one uh and, and post it up it'll post right next to the better rivals <laughs> drinking game so that you can argue about useless garbage metaphors while you're you know blitzkrieg drunk but do, do you i've got my opinions about purcell but do you think that he is a steaming hot pile of garbage or is tim ryan just you know reacting because he was like god damn it that was a bad play um i don't think he's very good 
uh, I mean, hot pile of garbage might be a little strong. Like he's had his moments where he's been decent this year, but uh, overall, like he's he's not a very good player. Um, and they certainly suffer from a run defense standpoint by having him in there as opposed to um, especially Ian Williams, but even somebody like Glenn Dorsey, I, I think really at this point is a, a better option. Um, Mike Purcell, love your hair, makes it really easy to see like that you're on the field, which I appreciate as somebody that uh, is now charting who's on the field and where they are uh, every play pretty much every week. That's really nice. Um, outside of that, not super good at football so far. Yeah, I don't think he's I don't think he's terrible. Um, I think he's slightly below average. He has, like you said, his moments, um, but he gets I think he gets washed up a few times too many. He does have the strength to make some penetrating plays, but I think he's good as a spot player and not as an every down player, which is unfortunately the role that he's been thrust into as they ease Glenn Dorsey back into the rotation. But now let's get to the third and final thing to watch against the Cardinals, and that's going to be defending Larry Fitzgerald in the slot. Everyone thought coming into the season, I think, that the Cardinals were going to see Michael Floyd kind of blow up into year one, and they were going to see one of the Browns, you know, because I guess they have two. They have, like, Jaron and John Brown. And they Um, look like the same person. And I was really... And is it 112 and 113? Uh, It's, like, 12 and... Yeah, some I don't know, something like that. They're both like yeah. in they have a number that starts with one. Um, I was real confused when I watched the week one game, I think. I was I was definitely a little confused. They, they can't do this. They, they know how awesome we are with names. And they, they have to give us the opportunity to mess up names that are vastly different. But we you know, everyone was talking about how th- this wide receiver core was going to render Larry Fitzgerald obsolete. And Larry Fitzgerald was going in, you know, the fifth and sixth rounds of some fantasy drafts. And now Fitzgerald is doing Fitzy things. He is clearly their best receiver, and he's doing so out of the slot. So how in the hell are the 49ers going to cover Larry Fitzgerald in the slot with, uh, with the kind of cornerbacks that they have now, especially given the injuries to, to Jimmy Ward? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a great question. I mean, last year it didn't go so well, right? Like um, one of the big things that we talked about from the Arizona games last year was how well they did throw into the middle of the field, right? And the, the middle of that defense just kind of got shredded by this offense. Um, and they were able to get big play after big play. Um, and that has a lot to do with Fitzgerald lining up in the middle. Um, I mean, that's pretty much where he lives at this point. Like he's, he's had kind of this late career resurgence as a slot receiver. Um, and right now we don't have a lot of players that I think match up very well with that. I, I think the guy that you would point to is probably Richard Robinson. Like he's got the most size from a from a length standpoint to be able to challenge um, Fitzgerald at the catch point. You know, on any sort of like jump ball or fifty fifty situation. So he's a guy that makes probably the most sense from just a pure matchup standpoint. But he hasn't played a lot in the slot this year. I think he only has four snaps in the slot. So. Do you see the 49ers? They have to make some sort of adjustment, right? Like it's not going to be Jimmy Ward. He's likely not going to play again this week. Um, and, and even he, like, that's not really his strength. He's gotten much better, and I don't think it's quite as big of a deficiency as it was early on, like when Brandon Marshall was uh, destroying him in his second game. But still not the the best matchup against kind of those bigger, 
more physical slot receivers like Fitzgerald. So he's not a great option, even if he's in there. Like, do they make the adjustment and, and move Robinson inside? Or do they continue to go with what they've done over the first four weeks, which is uh, basically put Eric Reed in there? Um, Eric Reed has been the guy that spent the most time in the slot outside of Ward so far this year. You know, Keith Reeser is the other guy that's kind of gotten in there now that Ward's been hurt. Um, but I don't know that you want either one of those guys matching up with Larry Fitzgerald. So I think that matchup and what they decide to do um, defending Larry Fitzgerald is going to be pretty important in this game because you would imagine that even though Drew Stanton likely isn't going to be that effective, I mean, if you're Drew Stanton and you're going in there, you're going to try to get the ball to your best receiver. So the attempts, I think the targets are going to be there for Fitzgerald. Um, and whether or not the 49ers can kind of keep him wrapped up a little bit uh, will, will be a big deal. I think at this point, I'm, I'm probably anticipating Eric Reed to continue in the slot. I, I don't, I think that Jim O'Neill is enamored with Eric Reed and the tool that he thinks that he has with Eric Reed. And while Eric Reed has looked okay, I think he's he plays better as an in the box safety and not really as as a slot corner that's asked to do all of the slot cornery things. When you think of someone like a Fitzgerald, I don't think there's much of a speed disadvantage as compared to Eric Reed, but I do think there's a technique disadvantage. Larry Fitzgerald is one of the best route runners that I think, you know, we we've seen at this point and much like him, much like Anquan Bolden, his former counterpart in Arizona, the reason they can play at such an effective level is because they have hands like vices and because they rat, they run really, really crisp, precise routes. And I, I shudder at Eric Reed, who's not a full-time corner, trying to backpedal or trying to read the stem of Larry Fitzgerald, which basically has a stem for most of his routes, it looks exactly the same. And so I, I don't think this is setting up Eric Reed for success. And I think as a result, you're going to see Fitz continue to do Fitz things. And and if Drew Stanton has to throw the ball, that's where he's going to throw it to. And and hopefully this is a situation where the, the 49ers are forcing Stanton to throw the ball because he's not as good of a quarterback as Carson Palmer, even though Carson Palmer has had some you know a pretty rough run. And so even though I think that this is going to be the way that Jim O'Neill rolls, I, I don't think it's the best way to do it. I mean, at, at the very least, it will be interesting to see how Reed responds. Like, if that's the route that they go, right, um, we, we will get to see, like, what he's capable of in the slot because he hasn't really been tested. You know, he's lined up there a lot um, so far this season, but teams haven't really thrown at him or thrown that direction uh, in those situations. So we haven't got to see a lot of, uh, you know, targets or opportunities there for him to defend a, a receiver in the slot with the ball on its way. So, um, if they do go that route, I, th- I guess that's maybe the one thing that we pull because really at this point, I think this season is more about finding out, you know, what you have in a lot of these players and seeing what sort of roles these defenders can play, um, and, and where their strengths are. So, if you want to see if Eric Reed can, you know, be a guy that plays in the slot against some of these bigger guys, like this is a good test for him. And, and this will be a good barometer to see whether he's capable of handling that role or not going forward. So if we were to then wrap it all up and say, all right, what's the final prediction? We're so far so good this season. We are three and zero straight up. 
but we're one and two against the spread. So far, the Vegas line is the Cardinals by four points. So given all that we've covered, I think given the fact that this is going to be an offense that is struggling because of lots of things, including Lane Babbert, going up against a very, very good defense, the fact that we have some serious issues in the run game and some injuries that are now going up against the league's highest rated running back based on pro football focus. And given that we're probably going to have some issues defending Larry Fitzgerald in the slot, even though we're going up against a subpar quarterback, what's the final tally then for you given the Vegas line? Yeah, I don't, it's, it's so hard to think about what this team can do. I mean, with where the Cardinals are at right now, you know, part of me wants to say like, okay, this is one of the games at home. They managed to pull off and, and get one of the, what I think is ultimately five or six wins this season, right? Like this is a good opportunity for that, especially if Drew Stanton's at quarterback. Um, but at the same time, like it, it, this is clearly, I think a Cardinals team that is more talented than what the 49ers have at this point. Like they just have better players, um, you know, almost across the board. I think I'm still going to go just because weird things happen. I think I'm going to go with a 49ers win in this game. There, there are not going to be too many situations where I think that I, I go that direction this year. Um, but I, I think we'll go with a 49ers win. I think it's relatively low scoring um, in a situation for them to do that. So I think something like 20 to, I don't know, we'll go 20 to 17. So we'll, we'll go uh three-point win. It's going to be pretty close. I don't think there's really many scenarios that you can imagine where this team kind of runs away with it. Um, but I think at home against a team that, you know, uh, is has true stand at quarterback that isn't playing very well compared to what we thought they were going to be, this is an opportunity for them to get a win. Um, they're, they're not going to be a lot of great opportunities like this, I think, going forward. I think while I would typically... I would typically say, yes, the 49ers are going to win. I think their running game woes really concern me. Uh, and so I think they they lose this game. I think they just flat out lose the game. I don't think it's a high-scoring game. I think it'll be true to Thursday night form, uh, a really shitty game. Yeah. So I, th- I think it'll probably end up be, being something like 10 to 17 or, or something stupid like that where the 49ers only score 10 points, and, and that's because Arizona's got great defense. But Arizona can't do a whole hell of a lot, and they end up scoring like you know a touchdown on some some I don't know some bullshit play. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> at this point, all, know, all game winning plays, whatever. At that yeah, at this game, that's that's analysis. You know, you know it's like <laughs> some bullshit wheel route from Seattle, some bullshit punt return from Arizona, um, or some bullshit pick six from you know Tyron Matthew. <laughs> you know, it, these are just the things we've grown to expect uh, from this team. So I think this is our first divergence of the season uh, yeah. with me going uh, the Cardinals uh, and you going with the Niners. Yeah. I, I, again, I don't think there are going to be many uh, situations where that happens. Like I think in most weeks, I'm probably going to think that the 49ers are going to lose. Like, I think that's probably the, the best uh, odds each week with where this team is at, unfortunately. But um, I don't know. I think you got to kind of, you know, find some wins in there somewhere. I don't think they're going to go one in 15 uh, so, so this seems like as good of an opportunity as any, if they can't beat uh, a Drew Stanton led Cardinals team, then, you know, I don't fucking know. Well, I think on that note, on that, oh, so glorious positive note, we're going to go ahead and bring it to a close. It's been, uh, it's been real so far on this short week. I think getting everything done on the short week was, uh, 
was, yeah, it was interesting and awesome, but definitely a time crunch. I'm looking uh, forward to the 10-day the stretch where we can yeah. really kind of uh, spread this out after the Thursday game. That's going to be yep. glorious. The, the cramming Absolutely. everything into a, a Tuesday show, not as fun. Hopefully it ends up uh, not too bad, but yeah. Yeah, so in the, in the upcoming weeks, I think what you'll get from us is you'll, we're actually going to wake up bright and early on Sunday morning. I will definitely be drinking on Sunday morning because we're going to record this show. Woo. We're going to do a review of Thursday's game, but we're going to do it right on Sunday morning before the games in our very own version of Sunday Matchup where we review the game, the Thursday night game, and then talk about uh, the future game and preview um, the, the future game. Or no, I'm sorry, no, we're going to no, do we're just the review on Sunday. Later. Yeah. And the preview on Wednesday. So you'll get two episodes next week, uh, and this week we just condense everything into one. So thanks again to the Barbary Sound for amazing theme music. Uh, you can catch David's article on Miners Nation. It posts every Friday. Uh, with the things that he thinks. Uh, with the exception of, the, of probably this Friday, honestly, short week is really kind of... So Thursday night is normally when I do uh, my writing with the, the game being this week and kind of the weird schedule. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make that happen, but um, definitely be back the following week with kind of, a, I think, a more big-picture look at where this team is at after five games. Awesome. So definitely catch that article uh, by David. And write us a review on the old iTunes. It really helps people discover the show. Uh, and generally, it's good karma. And that's what you want. Because you don't want to get cancer. You don't want to get cancer. And you then don't. end up not having it help you be a good football coach. You know, that's that's the opposite. Um, and, and I think that's going to be the call to action. We're going to go ahead and go super dark. And we're going to say it's cancer coaching. Straight <laughs> up cancer coaching. Or hashtag don't get cancer. Yeah, hashtag don't get cancer. <laughs> Hashtag cancer coaching. Oh my god, um, we're terrible. Because we're we're fucking terrible human beings. That's really <laughs> what it is. Um, so on that note, as always, go Niners. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.